everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heroes, Villains, and Redemption. My name is Jonathan Chan, and I'm so glad that you can join us today. If you just joined us, I invite you to visit our websites so that you can have a look at our previous videos of our previous talks or our audio podcasts for your listening enjoyment. But first, before we begin, we customarily show you a video clip of the character that we'll be embarking on. So this video clip is taken from the Batman Under the Red Hood, and I will play it now, and we'll be right back. So Leave in motorcycle feathers. Oh, these kids today. If you're behind this in any way, we will find out. You're not... Oh, bird boy, you're so much less fun now. All grown up and in your big boy pants. Still, it's better off than his replacement, right? Even tougher making with the yucks when you're... Well, welcome back. Our next comic book character may not be as well known because you may only know his superhero name when he was a wee little lad and a sidekick to Batman. That's right, you keeners out there. It's Robin, Mr. Dick Grayson, the first Robin who Batman recruited. Now, when he grew up, though, and became an adult, i.e. graduated from college, he and Batman had a big fight and went on his own and became Nightwing. Now, that fight was just a combination of Dick's ongoing struggle in his life when he was with Bruce Wayne. Throughout Dick Grayson's life, he was known as Batman's sidekick, i.e. living in Batman's shadow, and he yearned to establish himself and be treated as equals, whether it be with Batman's peers or with Batman's villains. That's right, the villains didn't even treat Dick Grayson as an equal to Batman. In fact, I think the Joker once called him Little Dick. People can be so mean. Instead, they continually just referred Dick Grayson as Batman's sidekick or the little kid. Well, no more. After that fight, Dick went on his own and became Nightwing. He got in a new suit, he got in with a black and blue suit, and went off and formed some groups. Actually, if you're a follower of Dick Grayson's story arc, you would realize that he formed the Teen Titans and also the Young Justice League. However, if you, if you are a keener and you're pretty, and you know about Dick Grayson's story arc in those areas as well, you would realize that Dick really never established himself even then. He was still called the kid. He was still called Batman's sidekick. Yikes. So here's my point. Like Dick, I wonder if we have our challenges of what it means to be treated as a grown-up or mature. Are we still being treated as a child by, for example, our parents, our relatives, or even maybe our friends or colleagues, or if you're like me, our in-laws? What does it mean to be mature? Now, if you're like me as well, I worked in the corporate world for 15 years. And every time I wanted to pursue a promotion or the next step up, I'm faced with sometimes the glass ceiling of maturity. My employer, my boss, my direct report would tell me that, John, you're just not mature enough. What does it mean? And so how does the gospel define maturity? And how does the gospel help us 
to redeem that whole sense of maturity. What does it mean to be grown up? What does it mean to be mature in this, in the eyes of the world and also in the eye of God? Because Christians, if you're like me, who's listening to this or watching this uh, uh, video, if you're like me, a Christian, we tend to use the term spiritual maturity as well. But we also believe that everything spiritual is also integrated into what is real, into today. And so spiritual maturity and maturity go hand in hand. So how does the gospel's definition of maturity apply to today in our lives? Well, I'm going to do something different here because I'm not going to go into Dick Grayson's life story of how he became Robin. I checked out YouTube and there are tons of videos of Robin's origin. Just Google Robin's origin and boom, you got, you got videos galore on that Robin's origin story. So I'm not going to bore you with that. You can just check that out. I'm going to go right directly into maturity. All right, first off, maturity in the New Testament Greek is teleos. That's right, teleos. Some of you may be familiar with this word to mean fullness, perfection, or completeness. The whole culmination of things. And also, it means maturity. All these definitions are to be kept in mind whenever we see teleos. So let's dive in. The first time you use the word in the Gospels is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. It goes like this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, be teleos, therefore, as your heavenly Father is teleos. Wait, what? John, perfect? John, are you telling me that I have to be perfect? At first glance, our response to Jesus might be, Wait, Jesus, dude, nobody's perfect. But it all depends on how you define what perfect really means. So let's take a look at the surrounding passages to see what Jesus meant by perfect. Now, this passage, interestingly, is found smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, i.e. from chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew. Jesus provided various teachings on what it means to follow Jesus and live as a citizen of his kingdom here and now. Follow Jesus because Jesus is God, and to be in God's kingdom, you and I need to pursue to be like him, i.e. to be to pursue to be teleos. How? What are the character traits that we are to follow to be like Jesus, who is God in reality? Well, Jesus gives us first the Beatitudes, which can be summed up with these words if you're not quite sure what Beatitude means. Fortunate to be in the kingdom are those who hunger and strive for mercy, grace, peace, humility, righteousness, and love. Jesus tells us that this is not a one-time thing. It's a process and a continuing journey to grow and be like him. Just like salt that benefits food from getting spoiled, our pursuit will make this world anew and usher in the new kingdom. See, if we lose our desire to strive, we would be no different than the rest. In fact, we would be part of the problem, not the solution. So Jesus continues and says that these Beatitudes are the culmination of the entire law, the entire Old Testament. And these Beatitudes not only are the fulfillment, 
but also the very definition of what it means to have righteousness, i.e. faithfulness in God. Now, these Beatitudes also address the heart of the matter, the heart of the matter, and not merely the, the action of the matter or the act of the matter. For example, murder. We know in the commandments, it says, thou shalt not murder, right? It's one of those 10 commandments. Well, Jesus says it's not just the act of murdering, but the anger towards another human being. How about adultery? Well, adultery is not just a sexual act. It's not about committing the sexual act, but the lust of the heart. How about divorce? Divorce is not just the act of separation, but the heart of selfish desires for another person or for one's financial gain. How about oaths? Well, it's not just the mere promises, but the putting forth of our existence of who we are for another. And lastly, love your enemies. What does that mean? Well, the heart of the matter is that we do not select who we like and dislike or who we love and not love. We are called to love everyone, everyone without any bias towards race, gender, ethnicity, religious affiliation, sexual orientation, or criminal records. We are to love our enemies, which means to love everyone. Therefore, Jesus says to conclude the first half of the Sermon on the Mount, and kicking off to the second half, he says this, Be teleos, as your heavenly Father is teleos. But wait, like I said, this is smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So there's more to this. It's like the commercial, but wait, there's more. More practical examples of how the Beatitudes are exemplified. And we move to chapter 6. Jesus goes and says this, Give to the needy, trust in God with our everything, and place him before our needs whenever we pray. Also placing the needs of others when we pray. Show justice, show mercy, show grace and compassion. Have integrity when we worship, as opposed to just paying lip service and appear to be Christian. He also warned, the citizens of God, that in God's kingdom, they are not quick to judge others, but are quick to judge themselves for hypocrisy. And lastly, Jesus says, bear fruit by putting everything mentioned above into practice. Bearing fruit that is equivalent to building our lives on a strong foundation. Bearing fruit by doing God's will. Bearing fruit by putting Jesus' words into practice. Therefore, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be teleos, be mature, be complete and full as your heavenly father is complete and full and mature and perfect. This is what it means to be mature citizens of God's kingdom defined by Jesus. This is what it means to be a full, perfect, complete and mature human being defined by Jesus. Now, let's compare Jesus' definition and how the world around us define maturity. Oh, look. There's an example of that later on when Jesus encounters a rich young man. It's found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 26. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. The guy asked, Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. Oh, goody for you. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, 
here we go. If you want to be Telios, perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, who, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. How many of us believe or were told to believe that maturity had to do with acquiring knowledge, getting degrees or designations, or in a spiritual sense, to know your Bible inside and out and, and be law-abiding citizens? Well, the rich young man was, was taught to believe all of the above were synonymous with maturity and also synonymous with entering into the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, Jesus knew where the man was coming from. Jesus quoted commands that were basically to be a generally a good person, right? However, Jesus also knew that the man is neglecting the commands that require his active participation of worshiping God. In other words, worshiping the Lord your God with your all. It's the active, willing intent of giving our all to God and loving our neighbor as, as well with, the, with our all that Jesus defines our maturity. It's not merely about how many Bible verses you know, because the rich man did know quite a bit. It's not about how law-abiding you are, because the rich man was quite law-abiding. And it's definitely not how well well off you are or how grown up you are in because the rich man thought he was too. Jesus's definition of maturity is to emulate him. The more we emulate him, the more we are mature. Hence, Jesus instructs the rich man to sell off his idols, his ideology, his way of defining maturity and follow Jesus. And that's the most notable contrast between Jesus's view on maturity and the world's. Jesus' definition of maturity is to love God with our all and love our neighbors with our all. While the world, especially nowadays, emphasizes that one must love themselves first and build one's own prestige and one's own resume and accolades, they don't see feeding the poor, taking care of the widows, care for the sick. They don't see humility and kindness as a trait of maturity. However, throughout the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying that in order to be perfect, in order to be mature, in order to be full and complete, like your father, one must set aside one's ambitions, self-sustenance, and the whole approach with, to life with humility, love, and trust and obedience to God, fully. And not just the outward appearance of a law-abiding citizen, but an inward, fullness, full submission to God. So in conclusion, I would like to close with Paul's use of teleos because before he met Jesus and fell off his horse, he thought he was teleos. He thought he was mature. Here, take a gander and take a listen on what he said in Philippians chapter 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider 
everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, here's the note, here's the note, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. To become more like Jesus is the sign of maturity. The desire to become more like Jesus is the sign of maturity. To become humble, to become thankful, to become generous and to support the poor, the weak, the widow, the sick, the prisoners, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love God with our all and to love our neighbors with our all is a sign of maturity. See, in the world's eyes back in Paul's day, Paul would have been known as a law-abiding citizen because he was, and an outstanding citizen. He had a freaking PhD, I think. He had like four PhDs in Tarsus. He was smart, full of credentials, and in those days, a pure and ethnic Jew. He was probably circumcised perfectly. And so in their minds, that was enough to guarantee a spot in the kingdom of God, isn't it? Well, to them, Paul was perfect, mature, full, teleos, complete. But Paul says otherwise. He said that all his credentials and all his accolades and his law-abiding behavior, he considered them all garbage compared to knowing Jesus and the participation of his suffering. Paul desires to follow and imitate Jesus, including the suffering part, and then he looks towards the hope of resurrection with him. And Paul tells us that, who, that we who are mature or who desire to be mature should think and behave the same way. That's maturity. In order for people to realize that we are different, that we have grown up, that we are mature, Jesus said, you know what? way to become mature is to follow me and to imitate me. That's how the world can see us as mature. During my time in the corporate world, I had a strong desire to get ahead. I wanted to get ahead in the corporate world. I want to be promoted as fast as possible and I want to hit the six digit pay figure scale. And my friends, in their view, I was actually immature. Why would they say that? Because I had such a strong desire to feed my own desires, to feed my own ambitions, to feed my own career aspirations. And I had little care for other people. Then the time came of a revelation, a turning point in my life. And if you want to know more about that, feel free to touch base with me and contact me and message me or something. And I would love to meet with you either through Zoom or through coffee, six feet apart. And I'll tell you my story of how, I, how God turned me, 
how God, you could say, converted me. Uh, and when I realized how wrong I was and how I needed to submit to God and submit my, my all to him and to love my neighbors with my all, I noticed that when I do allow the Holy Spirit to come in and allow me, allow him to work in my life and be more generous, humble, patient, less ambitious, and less uh, um, impulsive, my friends, when they, they see me now, they've been telling me that they have noticed a big difference. And so when I volunteer my time for uh, nonprofit boards, it's because I really want to help the community. They said, wow, John, you've really grown up. You've really taken that step of realizing that you become selfless, they would say. And so to, for those who of you who may be pursuing a career or getting disappointed in not, uh, uh, not getting that position that you want, maybe it is time to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, in your life, in your heart, to become less selfish, to become more selfless, to become more generous, to be able to think of the community and serve the community and love our neighbors and love those who are poor and sick and widowed. If people see us, if people see you acting and serving your community and proclaiming that the reason why you do it is because Jesus is your center and you want to give your all to Jesus, I believe that they would see you as mature.